Welcome to Keep Them Coming with Open the Doors Coaching. I'm your host, Kristen Thomas. I'm a relationship, dating, and sex coach based in Kansas City, and I just love to talk to people about what goes on in their sex lives and relationships. I also enjoy a good conversation about love, activism, or making change in the world. Be warned, you should probably be 18 and over, and probably also listening on your headphones. Thanks for tuning in. My guest on today's show has been a physical therapist for 21 years, and she's done a little bit of everything, but Katie Rush decided to become a pelvic floor specialist 16 years ago because she realized how underserved this part, our inner core, really was and how much it affects other areas of people's lives and health when something is off kilter. Did you know it takes a woman an average of eight years to get to the point where she sees a pelvic floor therapist for her issues? I mean, this is why I'm having two on within about a month's time because this issue is just so important. And gentlemen, don't turn this episode off just because I'm talking to a pelvic floor therapist. We talk about a lot of things that you really need to learn about too. Men need to know about periods. You've got women in your life. You could learn something from this episode that could help you support the ladies in your life with critical information. And ladies, we definitely cover some different information here than I did in the last episode. Thanks for listening. On today's show, I'm joined by another pelvic floor therapist. I mean, probably before the last episode, half of you out there didn't know they existed. And now I've got two in a month, but they are awesome. And there's so much to know about pelvic floor health. I am Really happy to be joined by Katie Rush. Hey, thanks for having me. So I love your website name. <laughs> the Perfect Pelvis. The Perfect Pelvis. I love it. It's great. It really is. Um, so just tell my listeners a little bit about, I mean, we don't need the whole pelvic floor explanation, but tell me just a little bit about your backstory. How long have you been doing this? Well, I've been a therapist for 21 years. Mm-hmm. I've been specializing in pelvic health for the last 16 you know, when I first went into physical therapy, my intention was to work with people that have had strokes or they've had head injuries. I really had zero idea that mm-hmm. I would be doing pelvic health. Mm-hmm. Um, and you mean you didn't go into it wanting to put your finger in people's vaginas and anuses? No. Really? Why not? Come on. <laughs> really? No. <laughs> in fact, it really didn't even exist when I went to therapy school. Mm-hmm. Didn't didn't exist at all. So. So 16, you know, about 16 years ago, the hospital I was working at at the time set up a program and they bought all the equipment and they put advertising out for it. And then the two therapists that they had trained for it um, both left. Oh, all at the same time. Oh, Lord. Were they like, yeah, we don't want to we don't want to do this. Or they just felt like, oh, no, one oh. moved for her husband's job okay. and one had some personal medical issues. Gotcha. Right. So, so you're like, I volunteer as tribute. Um, no, I did not <laughs> volunteer. Got <laughs> I got a sign. My boss looked around and she's like, you, you're going to go get trained. I'm like, awesome. And so I went to Las Vegas and I sat in a room with 40 other women with no curtains and we worked on each other's vaginas. You're blinking at me like, wow, that was a hell of an experience. It really was. I will let you know, I have also been spread eagle in front of, a, you know, some trainees making my vagina... I donated my vagina to science. <laughs> Good for you. So, yeah, it's an interesting experience. You, you, if you were shy before. You're, you're definitely not. No. Now. Yeah. Yeah. So there's one thing. So anytime you go to a pelvic floor therapist, we've had it done to us. Gotcha. With 40 people in the room. <laughs> 
<laughs> that's a good ice bed. That's a good joke. You should. That needs to be a joke on stand up yeah. for you. Yeah. yeah. So a room full of ladies. Oh, so that that is one thing. Are most pelvic floor therapists women? Yes. Okay. Most are. There are a very small handful of male pelvic floor therapists. Mm-hmm. I really think that. Um, such a small number basically because of how litigious our society is Mm -hmm. and you know they're worried about being sued for Mm. improper conduct yeah but how many urologists are men a lot right most of them Mm -hmm. when I you know when I'm thinking about networking or um you know when I first started this business I was looking for people like yourself and urologists OBGYNs therapists things like that and it was something I kind of noticed that, wow, all these pelvic PTs are ladies and all these urologists are men. Mm-hmm. So same with proctologists, like yeah. they're men. They are, but they always have a nurse in there with them. Well, yeah, but still like they're not worried about putting their finger up a guy's butt, but <laughs> putting it up a woman's butt. Mm. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Or vagina. Uh, I don't know. There's just something that I noticed there. So yeah. but I get, I get what you're saying. Yeah, so I think that's a big part of it. But there are there are a few out there, and a lot of them do specialize in more men's health than mm-hmm. women's, typically. And we're super glad to have them. There needs to be a few more. Yeah, absolutely. Cause that's an important thing to note, that pelvic PT isn't just for women. Right. Men have a pelvic floor, too. Obviously, yes. signs and symptoms, what you're experiencing is maybe slightly different, just as how, um, you know, how you're finally feeling that pain. Right. You know? Um, but I take it, are most of your patients women as well? Most of them. I would mm-hmm. say about 10 to 25% are men. Gotcha. Do you find that most people are coming to you when they're already in just such a state of, I'm in pain, something's wrong, all that stuff, or it's never really a proactive thing where they're like, mm, maybe something's a little off kilter? And Very rarely I get somebody that comes in that says, I think I may have a little bit of a problem and I want you to check it out. That does happen. But that's pretty rare. Most of the time, by the time somebody gets to me, they have tried literally everything else in the book. Mm-hmm. And nothing has worked. Mm-hmm. And they are pretty much at their last straw. And that's why they come to see me. On average, it takes a woman eight years before she gets to see me. Oh, my God. Eight years? Eight years. That's a lot of painful sex or lack of sex. Yes. That's a lot of, oh, oh my God, eight years. But here's that the difference goes, between like, men and women. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you this. So had a younger guy that came in to see me for, for pain and, and a sudden incontinence. He was really young. All of a sudden he was having had this issue with incontinence. Went to the urologist. They tried this medicine. They did this test, yada, yada, yada. Eight months later, they sent him to me. We finally figured out that ultimately what happened was he'd had a bad hit when he was playing football, kind of knocked his sacrum in a funny position. He had some tight muscles. We released everything, and he was fine. Wow. He was so upset that it took eight months before he got to see me. And he should be. He Mm -hmm. should be upset that it took that long. But at the same time, I'm in the back of my head, I'm thinking, well, generally it takes eight years. So... Men really do get preferential treatment. They do. Over yeah. Women. Well, that's, we could get into a conversation about how erectile dysfunction medications and penis pumps are covered by insurance companies, yet what you do is not, yeah. you know. Well, it is. It's it covered is, by some. It is covered by some, but for a lot of people, it is out of pocket. Yeah. And, and access to your, to your care specifically, it, you know, from what I heard last time, it, it can be limited depending upon where you live, where you live. Yeah. 
Um, even if you're in a big city like Kansas City, it depends upon what side of the state line you're in. But gosh, I think about all those women that and men that are in rural areas right. and don't have a, a city or an economy that's big enough to support someone like yourself because, again, so few people know about you, publicly speaking. Right. It's hard to finally get access to your care or to get through that process that, like, an MD or an OBGYN you first see thinks that you need this path when really you needed to have a pelvic floor therapist right away. Yeah, access to care. Let's talk about that for a second. Oh, <laughs> yes. We could talk about that for a really long time. Oh, I mean, again, just overall access in healthcare in general is horrible, but especially for women, especially for women of color, especially yes. for women that are poor. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really tough because pelvic floor therapists specifically are very concentrated in cities. Mm -hmm. um, they are not in rural areas. And so if you live in a rural area and you're having these issues, you either have to drive a couple hours to mm -hmm. get care. And honestly, that means maybe taking off work for a day. Um, lots of gas money, lots of time. And if you don't have the resources to support that, mm -hmm. you're just not going to have access to that kind yeah. of care. So I do try to offer um, telehealth for people that would like that, but that is limited because it's not hands-on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's only so much you can do with sending them a dilator set and getting them to do things on their own, all that stuff. Right. right. Yeah, maybe it can start off as, hand, you know, seeing them and then maybe transition to the telehealth, but still, like, I... With as with anything, it's always best in person yes. than it is by that. But that's certainly fantastic that you're trying to offer that as a resource for people that yeah just don't live very close and right. need your help. Absolutely. So you mentioned that you, you know, you got pulled into this. Yes. But it seems like you love it. I do. So where did where did that kind of start happening between the holy crap, what is my boss making me do versus this This is what I need to be doing with my life. Right. So came back from the class, um, started working with people. It kind of freaked out, actually, because you're like, yeah, I'm going to be putting my fingers in your vaginas and you're going to be okay with it. Mm -hmm. um, but I you know, was just realizing how much we had been missing. All those years that I'd been working with people with their low back pain or their sacral pain or their SI pain and you know, they'd get better, but not all the way better. And then they'd come in later maybe and see me for pelvic floor, and I'm realizing that this is definitely the missing link for those people. Mm. And I just didn't realize it before. You can only do what you know. Mm -hmm. um, and then I would have people that came in, and they had been dealing with these issues, like I said, on average eight years. But at that time, see, there had been not no access to pelvic floor therapy because it really hardly existed at mm -hmm. back that time. So they would come in and they'd been dealing with these issues for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, maybe their entire life they had never been continent or they'd always had painful sex, never had an experience where it wasn't. And so we would be working on things and within just a very short number of treatments, they would see such significant difference. It would just totally made my day Wow, to see these people be able to function, be mm -hmm. able to have a, a pain-free life, which everybody should have access to. Yes. Yes, they should. Yeah. I uh, actually fell about two years ago and fractured my coccyx and sacrum. And it's only been through doing what I do now 
and having some of these conversations that I've realized that I need to get some treatment. Yeah. Um, I don't think my body has ever worked past. I had 12 weeks of physical therapy, which took my pain from an average day to like a five or a six to more like, you know, two, three, if I'm doing pretty well, but a three is still not very much fun. No. Most days, especially when you've got sciatic pain and um, other issues. But one of them has been um, incontinence, when it, like uh, urge incontinence. Yeah. Which I've been very open about on this show. Just that like, okay, I've got to pee and I've got to pee right this fucking second. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's usually with caffeine. Yes. Um, but it, it's annoying. It can be troublesome. It can be problematic. Um, but I, I just thought it was the, it was the, just the caffeine, like, oh, I just need to stop drinking caffeine. And plus I'm getting older. I watched my mom go through this. Of course, that conversation about like, your mom shouldn't have been going through that either. This is not normal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm thinking that I need to take some of what I'll, you know, I am going to be getting a worker's compensation settlement, but that's for treatment. Like I'm so looking forward to having regular massage therapy, chiropractic, and then maybe seeing a pelvic PT. Absolutely. And it probably wouldn't take near as many. It's probably not near as involved of a treatment as you think it would be. Yeah. Yeah. I'm willing to do whatever to feel better. I really am. Yeah. Um, and since I'm on the Missouri side and I don't have great health insurance anyway, I'm just like, fuck it. I'm just going to pay for it and feel better. I don't even yeah. care anymore at this point. Absolutely. But I'm lucky, you know, I mean, yeah, I've had to wait at this point, but I, I still know that I'm going to have the ability to get some treatment and that's not how it is for everybody. Right. So, right. I mean, what, what do some patients have to go through to, you talk about how it takes eight years, but I mean, what's, what's that process really like for people? Why does it take eight years? And then once they actually get access to you, I mean, what's, again, what's that kind of like? So this is why it takes eight years, because first of all, these problems are very personal. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to talk about it. So they start to notice that they've had pain. So maybe they first experienced intercourse and it's painful. And maybe their mother, their sister, their friend says, oh, you know, it just hurts for you know a while and then it gets better. And they think, okay, this is just normal. This is part of something. And then it just doesn't go away. And they think well, this is normal. This is just how it's supposed to be. So this is the first stage of that. Mm -hmm. And then they start maybe talking a little bit. They have some good girlfriends they can talk to, and they're like, oh, maybe maybe this isn't normal. But they don't even know who to talk to at this point. So maybe they talk to their OB, and they bring mm -hmm. it up, and their OB, depends on who you have, there are some excellent OBs out there. But there are also some that will tell you that you just need to relax. Mm -hmm. Have a Go go have a glass of wine. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Spend some time in the tub, right? Mm -hmm. And they try that, and it doesn't work because they've been doing that anyway. Mm -hmm. So so they go through this process, and at that point, they don't even know who to go to. Mm -hmm. So before that time they get to me, they either have to have that physician that knows what can be done, mm -hmm. or they have a friend or a family member that mentions, well, have you thought about pelvic floor PT? Mm-hmm. So it just takes a while since it's not part of our consistent, it's not something somebody expects. It's not somebody has heard about ahead of time. It's not something that typically people will go in and ask their physician for. Mm -hmm. So it just gets kind of forgotten and nobody yeah. realizes it's there. Yeah. I had a friend this week who's been going through some things and I recommended that from the get-go when she went to her OBGYN, like, you've got to be your own medical advocate and you probably need to ask for pelvic PT right off the bat. 
Yeah. Like, don't, don't say maybe. Don't say, should we think about it? Say, I really want a referral for pelvic PT. And she got it. Yeah. The doctor was like, oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. So I was like, okay, for one thing, you've got a great OBGYN. Yes. <laughs> but second of all, like, I'm just, I'm glad that you were willing with confidence to say, I think this is, I know this is what I need. Because it really is. Um, I don't think her body's ever recovered from birth. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Oh, sending some referrals your way. Awesome. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing. There's, that it is growing, you know. Um, so you mentioned... Let me backtrack on that for a second, because you mentioned when you first got started, I mean, that there were just so few people. It was really new. How did this field emerge around that time? I mean, what what really got it going then? So specifically, the women that I took classes from, one of them was named Holly Herman. Um, she actually, she got her um, certification in, at ASECT as well. As oh, ASECT. okay. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah. Um, But she's also a pelvic floor PT, and she was a huge, huge advocate for um, sexual health for both men and women, as well as, you know, pelvic floor health for everybody. And so she and her partner, they really did, they did a lot of training um, across the U.S., and it's just, it's slowly grown since then. Lovely. So it's just a few advocates that yeah. said, we really, really need this and yes. set about to get out and train physical therapists like yourself then. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Man, grassroots can do some wonders sometimes when people yes. see that there's a better way. Absolutely. And believe in it and get other people to drink the Kool-Aid, you know? Right. <laughs> but we need well, that. We people, need that in a good you know, way. People are just, you know, they don't, like I say, we don't like to talk about these issues. Mm-hmm. We don't yeah. like to... People are worried about having somebody maybe touch them in that part of their body mm-hmm. for various reasons. Mm-hmm. And so it's something that a lot of um, health professionals have just shied away from just because they're uncomfortable with it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but I mean, just because you're uncomfortable with something doesn't mean it shouldn't be addressed. Exactly. Yeah. But that that is one of the biggest issues with providers that... Um, are often on the front line of healthcare is that their their personal discomfort or their and their personal worry about um, saying the wrong thing or offending their patient or again getting sued prevents primary care providers and OBGYNs from doing a lot of things. I think yeah, when it comes to sexual health and well being. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I think that's one of those professions that especially MDs. They've not really learned or been taught to check their personal biases at the door. Um, otherwise, I think that mm, things would be a little different in the medical system when it comes to, uh, you know, sexuality care and uh, and you know, getting people to what you do. Right. So. Yeah. Of course, it would also be nice if people got to spend more time with their physicians. But that's this is true. That's this a conversation about the insurance company, so yeah. we have that another time. Yeah. The thing is, down to an average of, what, six minutes at this point? Oh, it's so low. Yeah. I mean, how you can't talk about any deep personal problems no. at that point. No, that's what your nurse is for, right. right? Yes. That's what I keep telling all my friends, too. Like, you're not going to get much time with your doctor, but you better know your nurse really, really well. Right. Because they'll make that time for you. They've got the time to make for you. Mm-hmm. So take advantage. Talk to them. Yeah. So, um. One thing we did slightly touch base on when talking about pelvic floor health before was the um, how many women, again, I don't know where 
where the problem is arising from, but so many women, especially of my mother's generation, um, got hysterectomies rather than get some other form of care. Right. So what, what are you as a public PT doing to help change that for women in my generation and, and yours too? I mean, so I would just highly, 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 highly recommend that anybody that is considering a hysterectomy think long and hard about why they're having it first. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times hysterectomy is recommended to treat pain, Mm -hmm. right? So, and sometimes it truly is indicated. There are women who need hysterectomies to get rid of their pain, and I don't want to minimize that in any way, shape, or form. The problem is that that's often one of the first things that's recommended. Mm-hmm. And it, it's major surgery. It's a major surgery. You can't undo it. Mm-hmm. It's not like you can go back there and just stitch your uterus back in there. I mean, I guess there are people that do that, but it's not very successful, and there's issues with that too. Mm-hmm. So it's it, it's a permanent decision. So you want to make sure that before you make that permanent decision with the side effects that come with it, that you're making the right decision. Mm-hmm. So with pelvic pain, what you want to consider is, is it truly from that uterus? Is it related to an endometriosis? Or is it muscular? Because if it's muscular, taking out the uterus is going to do nothing. Yeah. You're still going to be in pain when you have, after you're done with the surgery. Absolutely. And then you're going to still be doing pelvic floor therapy Mm -hmm. if you want to get rid of the pain. I had that happen with a recent patient, and she was, I mean, livid. I cannot tell you how livid she was with her physician. Oh, I'm sure. Because he did not recommend pelvic floor therapy before he recommended the hysterectomy. She had the hysterectomy. She still wanted more kids, but she really needed to get rid of the pain. Had the hysterectomy, still had pain. Then he recommended pelvic floor therapy, and then her pain went away. I don't blame her for being livid. Yeah. And that happens way more than you think it would. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm thinking about my mom. You know, I, my mom did have two, uh, two ectopic pregnancies and a miscarriage after me. So her tubes were probably shot. But having her have a hysterectomy affected the rest of her life. Right. You know, medically speaking. And I don't know that, you know, I think about women like her, like, I don't know that that was medically necessary. I don't know that she can never, she'll never be able to tell if that was medically necessary, I don't think. I don't think that it solved any real issues from, for her, other than she's now on EstroTest and has been for 30 years. Right. Which I keep trying to get her off of, but yeah, that's a whole other story. But I just, you know, I watched my mom go through that. I was old enough to remember that. And it was, it's not pretty. At all, to watch your mom go through that process. Um, I I almost hope she never listens to this episode because she might be going (laughs) like, maybe, did I not need this? Like, I don't know. But, I mean, there's probably a lot of women out there who are going to listen to this episode and go like, damn, maybe I didn't need this because I'm still having issues. Right. Well, yeah. Right. Thank you for being here to raise awareness. Not to necessarily make everyone angry now. They're, the women are shaking their steering wheels right now in their car when they listen to this episode because they're like, oh, shit, that was me. Right. I hope that they're few and far between. But, you know, from a preventative conversation or preventative, preventative measures, I hope this conversation catches some women before they um, are considering taking that step. 
Right. And hopefully those women that are shaking their steering wheels are talking to their daughters and talking to their friends' daughters Mm -hmm. and letting them know that before you do this, you want to make sure that you have explored all of your options. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, so you talked about there there being the three factors. And one of them you mentioned was endometriosis. Yes. So... Can you explain what endometriosis is? Because I have male listeners and they may have, again, spouses or daughters or sisters or mothers that have it. So they need to know too. So it's when the endometrial tissue is not growing where it should be inside the uterus. So it can go all sorts of different places inside that abdominal cavity and it can cause a variety of different pains. One of the most classic symptoms is having severely painful periods. Mm -hmm. And that's one that we, that's one of the most common signs that we see. But along with it can also come painful intercourse, um, can come with low back pain. Mm -hmm. Um, So those are things that we see pretty frequently. Gotcha. Um, So when someone has, when a woman has endometriosis, I mean, it's treatable. But it's kind of hard to diagnose. Yes. Correct? Yes. Because the, the way I kind of had the perception of diagnosis is it's almost one of those conditions that it's like we've ruled everything else out because it takes so much to actually physically go in and diagnose you and that there's so few people that can diagnose it. Right. So how, how, what is that process like to even figure out if you really do have endometriosis? So typically when you go to a physician, what they do is, like like you said, they kind of rule a lot of things out first. And if you have the signs of it, a lot of times they will prescribe birth control Mm -hmm. is what they will do. That's what happened to me. Yep. Yeah. So basically that doesn't really treat the problem. What it does is that it just decreases the, or it changes your hormone levels in your system so you don't feel as much pain. Mm -hmm. But while that's going on, all that endometrial tissue is continuing to grow and spread throughout your system. Now, for some people, that's really not a huge deal because they don't really have that much in there and it's not really causing them that much pain. And I get it why a physician would do that. Um, but if you really want to diagnose it, diagnose it, you have to do a laparoscopic surgery. Mm-hmm. And they actually have to go in there and look and see if it's there. Gotcha. Gotcha. And then remove it. And then remove it. And hopefully you have somebody that's really looking everywhere and removes every last bit of it so that it's not just going to grow right back. Well, that's complicated because you talk about it being in your entire, it could be anywhere in your abdominal cavity. So you're talking about having to like literally like move your organs around and look underneath things and around things and make sure that there's not just a little bit of tissue because I mean, I'm pretty sure I have it, but again, I've never had a laparoscopic procedure. That was what my mother was basically diagnosed with, but I don't think that she ever had a laparoscopic procedure to diagnose her. It was just kind of like, oh, well, this is what you have. And, and this is why you've had the, the tubal pregnancies. And so, yeah, you just need to, you just need to get an, uh, a hysterectomy. Right. And then when I repeat that to my OB, when I'm young, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, well, you probably just have it too. We'll put you on birth control and it'll help a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And it may help control pain, yeah, but it doesn't actually treat the problem. So if you go to a physician that this is like all they do is endometriosis, what they'll do is they'll go in and they'll actually remove it, like I said, from wherever it is. 
and that will often allow um, you to preserve having your organs. Mm -hmm. So in the past, what the first recommendation, and actually in still a lot of places, the first recommendation is just to have a hysterectomy for it. But the problem is it may not be just in your uterus. It could be anywhere else, too. Mm -hmm. So again, you may have had a hysterectomy, and maybe you actually are one of those people that really does need surgery. But if we haven't gotten all of it, then you're going to have continued pain. And so you want to go to one of those physicians that really specializes in it, and they will go in and make sure they remove every bit of it so that you will not have those ongoing issues. Gotcha. Okay. Now let's... I think there's a lot of women my age out there who have, who are walking around saying they have endometriosis and have never been given the diagnosis. They probably do have it, but the fact that there's such a lack of access to the care necessary, and the fact that, I mean, that's that's quite a procedure. It's quite yes. a process. And what's it like getting an insurance company to agree to it? You know, and is is there even a specialist here in KC that does that? Um, there are some that do work a lot with endometriosis and that are very good physicians. Um, the ones though that specialize almost exclusively in it, the closest is in St. Louis. Mm, okay. Gotcha. So anyone out there that's listening, if you feel like you need some better information or better care or really figure out what's going on, reach out. I'll have a, I'll have Katie's information in the show notes too. Absolutely. You can always reach out and get a re- you know referral out if you need to. So, well, thank you for that explanation because, again, I, I don't care if you're a male or a female listening to the show. You need to know what's going on when it comes to this stuff. Absolutely. Because most women know about men's sexual health, so men need to know about women's sexual health too. Oh, my goodness. Can I, I'm going to take you on a tangent Please for do. just a minute. Please do. <laughs> Let me tell you why it's so important for men to know about women's sexual health is because it affects them too. Yeah. If your partner is in pain, mm-hmm. if you're a he- if you're a heterosexual, if yes. you're heterosexual, yes. Yes. sorry, yeah. So hey, that. gay men have sisters and mothers and friends and cousins, whatever too. So, Absolutely, yeah. sure. But if your partner is female and she is having pain with intercourse, or then she's not going to want to participate in intercourse, mm-hmm. and the tendency is to take that personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. It's something that about me. I, she doesn't want me. She's interested in someone else. Maybe she is interested in someone else. I'm not going to say that. <laughs> but <laughs> She's interested in a different kind of sex that doesn't hurt. That's for sure. Absolutely. And she may not be making the connection that it's not about him. Right. Yeah. Right. right. So it's important to be able to understand that and to realize that when somebody is in pain, they really just want to stay out of pain. Yeah. It has nothing to do with you. And so if you can be supportive and be there and help your partner get the treatment that they need, then your relationship is going to be so much better Yeah, in so many ways. Maybe some men listening out there to this episode that need to go home and talk to their female significant others. Say, hey, babe, maybe this is the solution. Right. Maybe this is what we need. You right. need, but you know, not to put the onus of responsibility on her, but this is what we need, right? Yes. Because I want you to feel better. I want you to not be in pain. Yeah. I've seen a lot of people that are in relationships like this and they're in pain and they're like, 
just go go with somebody else you know go play I the can't field. tell you how many times I've heard that yeah yeah mm-hmm. because they're like don't mess with me I realize you have needs I care about you mm-hmm. but I am not going to be the one that fulfills those needs for you mm-hmm. is essentially what they're saying yeah where in reality what they need is treatment and once they have their treatment then they can have that full relationship that they're really wanting both people are really wanting mm-hmm. oh man a lot of open relationships out there that probably started because of that. I never yeah. really thought about that. Yeah. That makes sense, though. I mean, if you love your partner, but you just don't want to have sex with them, and you recognize that sex is something that's really important to us as human beings. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've heard more than one of my clients and friends mm-hmm. who have said that they gave their partner the hall pass because they just couldn't or didn't want to, or again, wanted to avoid pain. Yeah. So, well, <laughs> the open poly community might close up a little bit more once they start going to uh, <laughs> pelvic floor therapists. <laughs> hey, that's okay. We know we just, just want help. people to be healthy and happy. doesn't matter what your relationship status is. Just be doing it for the right reasons. Right. You know, don't, don't necessarily... Don't do it just because you feel like you can't perform or you can't fulfill a need or, you know, you're just stuck and there's never going to be any pain-free sex or, you know, days where you wake up and don't have cramping, um, days where you don't sneeze and pee. Yeah. So, and all those things are possible. Yes. Very much so. Can you tell a, I mean, anonymous, obviously, but can you tell like what's one of your favorite success stories? Yeah, actually I can. So one of my favorite ones was um, a woman that had had pain, painful sex for years and years and years. I mean, a long time. And so she and her husband had split up basically because of that Mm -hmm. in a very similar situation. She's like, I love you. I can't be with you. And, um, so she came to me, she was basically in tears every single treatment I saw Mm -hmm. her and we worked on it and we worked on it. And she got to the point where I told her, I said, if you would like to try intercourse, it shouldn't be painful for you anymore. And so she went ahead and she and her husband got back together. So Mm -hmm. that was really one of my, one of my favorites. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. I mean, yeah, it's just, uh, I feel so bad for couples when I see them going through this. I mean, I've definitely sent people to public floor therapists. I'm like, this is, this is not your new norm. This pain is, is not something that has to be for the rest of your life. And it is tearing your marriage apart. People that think that the lack of sex won't tear them apart. Like, Oh, oh yeah. we can make it through. We'll figure out alternatives. Like, no, 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 no. It, it will destroy you in one way, shape, or form. Right. And I had a th- my very first therapist that I had, as an, it really is my first one as an adult, because I, I went a couple times in college, but it was when I was having issues at the end of my first marriage. She was like, if you're not having sex, you don't have a marriage. And I was like, oh, damn, you're right. <laughs> and that stuck with me. Yeah. You know, and, and as a coach... That's one of the things that I'm trying to help people do. Like, I want to help people save their marriages. And part of saving your marriage or your relationship, long-term partnership, whatever, is getting to the point where you're having sex again. Absolutely. And I'll help you do whatever it takes. Yeah. You know? And it shouldn't be something that you're doing, I 
have to do this right. again. Uh-uh. <laughs> she want it. It should be fun. Absolutely. It should be fun as hell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You should be enjoying every second of it. Or at least if you're like, sure, we all do things for our partners. We're like, eh, not 100% into this, but you love it. But knowing that maybe you're about to get something that they're not 100% into, but like it's the tit for tat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just, I do. I love helping couples reconnect. And I, you know, I can't help with everything. There's got to be a team approach sometimes. Yes. So whether it's a therapist, a physical therapist, and me. Sometimes there's like emotional trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, some of that trauma came from something physical. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it can all play in together. Absolutely. What a perfect practice it would be to just have a building there with everybody in it, right? It would oh. be wonderful. <laughs> One day I'll have my office. So where, so where is your office? So my office is in Northley Summit. Okay. Right off 470 Highway. Out in the suburbs. Beautiful suburbanly summit. Yes. (laughs) Hey, I don't mind the suburbs. Did you go to Mizzou? I did. Yay, (laughs) Tigers! Yes. What years were you there again? I graduated in 98. Okay. I went in fall of 99. Okay. So, yeah, we're not that far apart. Man, Columbia has changed a lot. It has. Have you been back lately? Um, I was there just a couple weeks ago. My aunt lives there. Ah. I actually lived with her when I was in college, and um, yeah, growing up in Mexico, like we were always over in Columbia when I was little. Oh yeah, what else and I was there to do? Nothing. <laughs> I was basically told I was going to Mizzou. I wrote a thing about Nancy's Nook. What was that all about? Oh, that was back with the endometriosis. I was debating about to bring that up. I didn't know if you wanted me to bring up other stuff. Sure. Okay. <clears throat> so backtrack just a little bit. Yeah. Back mm-hmm. to endometriosis. So if you do have endometriosis or think you do, I highly recommend joining a private Facebook group called Nancy's Nook. Okay. And N is a Nancy O-O-K, Nancy's Nook. uh Okay, gotcha. And the reason is that it is run by a woman whose background, she's a nurse. Mm -hmm. She had endometriosis, went from doctor to doctor to doctor to doctor, as people do, trying to get treatment, and finally found a resolution to her symptoms, which in her case was somebody going in, actually scraping it all out, somebody that really knew what they were doing, and basically her problem went away and never came back. Hmm. If you can imagine how awesome that would be. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So she put together a very curated list of professionals in the U.S. that know what they're doing and meet her expectations and her standards. And it's incredibly useful group. She gives lots of great medical information in there. It's not a place to go and... And talk about, she doesn't really want people talking about how bad they feel all the time. Right. It's not a support group. It's a place to get good medical information. Mm -hmm. And resources so you can get treatment. Yes. Get it fixed. Yeah. So you don't feel like you need to have a place to go complain about how bad you're feeling that day. Absolutely. Yeah. Beware, though, that the wait list for those docs is long. Oh, just because there's so few of them? Yes. Mm -hmm. And there's so many women that have it. 10% of women have endometriosis. Really? It's a huge thing. Mm. Very undiagnosed. Mm-hmm. Underdiagnosed. So how, how do we change that? How do you change it? So for you personally, mm-hmm. just to be aware of what to look for and to, and to know that I may have endometriosis. Make sure you bring that up to your physician. And if they talk to you about birth control, I mean, it's always a good, it, it, that's a 
very personal conversation that you have with your physician. Yeah. And what's right for one person is not going to be right for someone else. Right. But if that's not cutting it for you, you need to know that there are these other options out there and to find the right physician that's going to really help you solve your problem. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Oh, and they act, I do remember one doctor along the way being like, oh, and once you've been on hormonal birth control long enough, most of your symptoms will just go away. Like it'll pretty much fix it. I was like, how, how are hormones going to remove tissue or shrink tissue? Like I just don't, I, I asked him that and he was like, oh, it just, you know, it just does. I'm like, you're not, <laughs> you're, you're just bullshitting me at this point. You're not giving me accurate information. You're just trying to make me feel better and get me out of your office. Yes. That's exactly what that doctor was oh doing. Oh, God. Oh, this is why I hate doctors. There are good ones. I know have there's faith. good ones. There are really, really, really good doctors out there. You just have to find the right one. I don't hate doctors. Okay, I do have a really good OBGYN right now. She's fabulous. But on the whole, I don't know. Just feel like there's so many. Ugh. I know there's great doctors out there. It's just <laughs> kind of like, okay, it's like I'm single. And a lot of women out there are like, men suck. I'm like, no, there's a lot of really great men out there. So yes. Doctor. <laughs> well, I Even though I've a- met some shitty men. Oh, gosh. And you've met some shitty doctors. Yeah. Well, I worked in a hospital with a lot of doctors for a long time. And f- from from their perspective, just to, honestly, they have the six minutes with you. Yeah. They really don't have the time to problem solve what's going on with your problem. They just don't. And that's really not even their fault. If you ask a doctor how long they'd like to spend with their patient, their answer is not going to be six minutes. Right. They want to spend the time and they really want to help you. Most of them are in this business because they want to help people. But they're not allowed to. Yeah. Are you familiar with some of the folks that are moving towards the direct primary care method? Yes. You know Dr. Allison Edwards here in town? I don't, but I love the doctor primary care method yeah I'm gonna connect to you guys yeah. she's um she's in Westport okay but she uh yeah she's one of the few she's actually just added a second um physician or provider they don't even, they don't even call them themselves doctors or physicians anymore right they call themselves providers yes okay <laughs> she's added a second provider to her practice <laughs> um but yeah I mean with with direct primary care that's her whole thing is making sure her patients get to the right person like right away yeah. Not about let's try this and let's try that. Like, no, no, you need this. You're gonna you're gonna go do the thing. Right. So I'm gonna make that connection for you guys. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I was talking to another patient the other day, and she was talking about her parents that were part going to a direct primary care physician down in Florida, and she's saying from her perspective, they're paying out of pocket X number of dollars every year to see this physician, and so then I proceeded to explain to her the advantages to direct primary care, where you get to contact your physician way more often, mm-hmm. and you spend more time with them, and they actually fix problems, and she's like, oh, well, maybe it's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. They're a lot more affordable than people realize. Absolutely. And yes, she likes people to have insurance, but you don't have to have, if you don't have health insurance, direct primary care is probably your next best thing. Yeah. Just pay your subscription, and you've got a freaking doctor. Right. Who so. will spend time with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and especially if you actually have medical issues that you need help with. Yeah. To me personally, the more I've been in this business, it's worth it to spend some money up front and actually get a problem dealt with Mm -hmm. than go from one place to another place to another place and deal with the same problem for years and years and years and years 
and you've been in pain, you've missed how much work while you're going mm-hmm. to these doctor's appointments, you've missed how much time. And it's about one of the most important things in your life, which is your sex life and your yeah. sexual health, which Just affects everything. Absolutely. Everything. Yeah. Especially if you're in a committed long-term relationship. Yeah. So. Just get it taken care of, done, out of the way, and be happy. Yeah. <laughs> so as, as someone who has a business called The Perfect Pelvis, and you're out there talking about sexual health or helping promote sexual health, and you've got kids. I do. Got daughters. I've got four kids. Your daughters? Two daughters. Okay. So what, what would you like to see in the world when it comes to sex education and sexual health so that your kids knew what they needed to know? Like what, it, what, what would a perfect world look like for sexual health and education? Well, in a perfect world, parents would not feel uncomfortable talking to their kids about this stuff. Mm-hmm. We would use correct anatomical terms oh my god you call it a penis and a vagina yes <laughs> oh, thank you absolutely i have a button that says penis and vagina are not bad words oh do you yes i might need to gift it to you <laughs> it was gifted to me so i feel like it's gonna be like the traveling you know sisterhood of the you know the traveling button pants, yeah the traveling button well in one of my in my first class where we're working on everybody's vaginas with 40 people in the room they made us say very loudly over and over again, vagina, 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 because she said, you have to get over saying this word. You just have to say it. Love it. Love it. <laughs> How would you like to be the person that's outside the conference room getting coffee ready for the group? <laughs> like, what is going on in there? Oh, my God. Oh, so many stories about this. Um, I'll tell you this one. You can okay. do whatever you want to with this. So okay. in the class, when I took it, it was right after um, – the bombings, 9-11, you okay. know, and so we had been, they were changing all of our standards with okay. airfare. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, they gave us this vaginal sensor that we use for biofeedback. Mm-hmm. It's got metal in it. Mm-hmm. Somebody was asking Holly, they said, can we take this with us in our carry-on baggage? And this is what Holly said. She says, this is what you do. She said, go ahead and put it in your carry-on. They're going to put it through the x-ray machine, and then you're going to see them bring it back through the x-ray machine. (laughs) And then they're going to do it again, and then pretty soon they're going to call over somebody else, and then somebody else, and there's going to be about three or four people there looking at your bags. She says, you wait until that time. Wait until there's three or four people there. Then say really loudly, that is my vaginal sensor. And she said, they will all turn red and let you go right through. And did it work? I did never oh, have to do it. Oh, no, I would have loved that. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. Just got a good sense of humor, too. That's my kind of gal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Vibrators will do the same thing. Like, that's my dildo. <laughs> They'll let it go yep. right through. They don't want to talk about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So in a perfect world, we would use all that terminology, and there would be, we would be talking to kids about this stuff. Just as they get older, this we do not have one big birds and bees talk. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't work like that. It needs that. to be an ongoing conversation that changes and evolves as they age. Right. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so here's a story for you. My bathroom does not have a door on it because it was getting in my husband's way and he decided to take it out. <laughs> so so I had a door. It got removed. It got removed. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So kids are, well, they would have been in and out there anyway. It doesn't really matter, right? So my son is in there with me. I'm changing a tampon. 
what's that? He's like five or six. And I'm like, I, I'm like, it's a tampon. Of course, that means nothing to him. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, it's a blood catcher. <laughs> I bleed once a month, you know, so that means I don't have a baby in there. Okay. He doesn't really care. But several years later, he's in there, and he, I find he's still referring to them as blood catchers. Oh. <laughs> so we had another conversation. Which is an accurate descriptor of what it does, what that item's job is. Yes. But. <laughs> Good thing you found that out sooner rather than later when he was in college, and he saw you know, his girlfriend asked him to go pick something. Oh, you mean blood catchers? <laughs> You need a blood catcher? I can get you one of those. I'm not afraid to go get you a blood catcher. I'm a, I'm a man. I can handle that. Oh, my God. And she's like, excuse me. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, just as, they, as they're as they there, I mean, it's part of life. Mm-hmm. You talk to talk to your daughters. Talk to your sons about periods. They yes. need to know this stuff. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> that, and that has been something that I think that has been brought up more in the last few years. It, it was, I mean, obviously in – Elementary school, you probably went through the same thing I did, which is the boys went in one room and the girls went into another, and we learned about our own bodies, but we didn't learn about the others' bodies. Uh, no. Right? And, you know, of course, we're all talking on the playground the next couple of days about, you know, what we talked about and all this stuff. But I think that that's an absolute disservice. Maybe, yes, because of that age, you need to be able to give boys the space to talk about and ask questions amongst boys and girls the same space. But why not still the next day or the next week flip and give the other lesson to the other gender? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. On top of it, there could be intersex students in there who have both parts and are going to go through some similar symptoms of both genders. Right. I shouldn't even say both genders because there's more than two genders. But yeah, um, I, I just feel like there's so much stuff that needs to change. And I feel like a lot of what I do, and you probably do it too, is fixing some of the sexual illiteracy that's out there. Oh, absolutely. You know, I do focus on the medical part of that, but yeah, absolutely. Cause people don't understand what's normal. Mm-hmm. No, they really don't. That's one of the number one questions I get asked is, am I normal? If I do this, am I normal? Because I do that. There is no normal. It just is. Yeah. You like what you like. Yes. You're normal. Yeah. So <laughs> in that sense, you were all normal. Absolutely. Well, you know, when you talked about, um, in the perfect world for what our kids would receive as far as sex education. I um, did a parents academy this weekend and in prepping for it over the last few weeks, I was reading several studies about, um, you know, teens and their parents, the, the talk, all that stuff. And I came across this study that was awesome. that was talking about how, you know, the number one predictor of positive sexual outcomes for teenagers is if they have good communication in the home. Even better is when their parent is their primary source of sexual health information, those kids are more likely to use protection and have to talk about preventing pregnancy and STIs with their very first partner. But less than half of students surveyed in that study had the talk with their parents. So the most effective way to prevent sex and STI transmission because they talk about it and put and then do it is to talk about it but they just don't they just don't and a lot of parents are hesitant to talk about it they say because um well there's the you know they don't want to ruin their innocence Mm -hmm. but one of the bigger things was they felt like if they didn't ask about it they didn't need to know so and I had a few parents shaking their heads like in agreement 
mm-hmm. with that statement. And I went, okay, so imagine if we didn't tell them that the moon goes around the earth until they asked about it. And they went, oh. I go, imagine we didn't tell them what this bone in their arm is called because they didn't ask about it. Right. We don't teach kids that way. We're proactive in giving them knowledge and information except when it comes to their sexuality and their sexual health. Right. And then because we, people are uncomfortable about it. Yeah, because their parents were probably uncomfortable and their parents were uncomfortable and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So yeah, now we're getting into talking about generational trauma and all that <laughs> stuff. That's a whole heavier conversation. But yeah, I think it's up to it's up to us to work with kids of today and create that generational change where we no longer make it that taboo subject that parents are afraid to talk about. Um, they're worried about their kids having information because they think it'll make them go out and do it. They're also worried. They're going to do it. What their young child might say in public. Just that so you know. That is a big worry. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. That the top four reasons why parents don't talk to their kids about sex is the, you know, the perception they need to preserve their innocence. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether or not they're old enough for the information, uh, whether or not the parent's comfortable with it, and then the perception of judgment from others. You know, they go talk about things on the playground or on the bus, and then you get a phone call from another parent going, what the fuck did you say to your kid that made them say this? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Aren't there, I've been hearing that a lot of parents in, in this area especially have found some program, some group parents that are all getting together and they're sending all their kids over to like have these talks or these teen classes Hmm. where they go over all these different topics and one of them is sexuality I was like please connect me with that group because I would love to be the person that's helping make sure that that parent's giving factual information yeah because good god (laughs) (laughs) you're putting one person in charge of your kid learning about all sorts of things about human sexuality and consent desire all that stuff you better make sure that that person's got some Okay, healthy boundaries for one thing and factual information for another. Right. So had you heard about these things going no, on? No, I have not. I've had two parents tell me lately about this. Like, oh, so-and-so is doing this class. About-. I was like, oh, I need to know more, please. Yeah. I mean, and that's a good way to maybe introduce the subject to your children. But maybe- you still got to be the one to talk about it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's two things with that. You know, a lot of people are like, well, I... I don't want my kid getting all their information from school. You know, I don't know what they're going to teach them. But at the same time, if you're not talking about it at home, somebody's got to teach them about it. Yeah. Are you just going to just say like, oh, because some parents do want that control where their kids don't learn anything about human sexuality. They're, those people do exist. And that's, uh, that's a sad lot. Because, again, it's their kids that I'm fixing one day. But <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I, I really just wish that we could get to the point where our society did not view sex as being something that's dirty. Right. Um, it's part of life. Mm-hmm. It's not shameful. It's not sinful. It's not gross. Yeah. Actually, one of the quotes that I used in my um, presentation was from a musician. And he said, one thing I learned in Lubbock, Texas, was that sex was dirty, awful, and shameful. And it needed to be safe for the person that you love. Okay. That's what we're teaching people, right? It's awful. It's disgusting. You shouldn't be doing it until you get married. Until you find someone you love and then it's going to be okay. That message doesn't get shut off just because you put a ring on your finger and you got a piece of paper. You know, those messages linger. So props to you for (laughs) teaching your kids a better way. 
Yeah. Hopefully they can then be that positive experience or positive influence for their friends to help them learn some, I'm sure you're being sex positive and (laughs) open-minded. So be kind of hard to be in what you, to do what you do and not be very open-minded. So you look at vaginas and anuses all day. I do. <laughs> I talk about vaginas and anuses all day long, so we're pretty much the same person. Oh, sure. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, I mean, I look at them, just not in person yeah. every day. So you get a lot more. Do you, can I ask, does it make you desensitized at all to some aspects of sexuality in your personal life since you're kind of talking about it or dealing with it all day long? To me, work and home is very, I keep them very separate. Mm-hmm. My husband's actually kind of funny about all this stuff. I don't know if he'll listen to this or not. But he, you know, for instance, when I went to my initial training, I'm in Vegas. Mm -hmm. I had him come with me because I didn't want to go to Vegas by myself. Mm -hmm. So I come back to the hotel all excited. I'm wanting to tell him all this stuff that I've learned. He's like, I don't want to know. (laughs) He's like, the way I imagined you having your fingers in another woman's vagina was not in this way. So we don't, you know, <laughs> we keep it very separate, mostly for his benefit. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it's not fulfilling any fantasies for him to think about it that way. No. 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 <laughs> That's funny. Uh, well, again, I'm so glad that you are out there doing what you do. I mean, I think that the in- your industry obviously has changed a lot since the early 2000s and will continue to evolve as will mine and my hope is that it just continues to grow and more and more people learn about it and understand how they can um, you know get access to this kind of health care and then why they might need this kind of health care and again being at, at this point being more proactive when it comes to being their own medical advocate and asking yes for this kind of treatment and this kind of support early and shout it from the rooftops if you need to with your doctor like right. tell them you need this and you know, don't that, wait for them to let you say like, yeah, okay, well, maybe we should try that. That's literally the best thing you can do. Because what's the worst thing that happens? You go in pelvic floor therapy, the worst thing that happens is it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Or they tell you you don't need it. Or you they don't need it. Tell you like, you're all good. Yeah. There's something else. Yeah. 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 It's not going to give you long-term side effects mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. Hmm. Well, Maybe here in a couple months, we'll be making an appointment with hey. you. Yeah. We'd love to have you. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So, well, so for those that are listening that, again, maybe they need an appointment or their significant other could use your services, how do people reach you? Um, so you can go on my website, www.theperfectpelvis.com. Best website ever. <laughs> Lots of different, you can, I have a lot of free information out there. Um, Like we were talking about access to care. Mm -hmm. The free information can at least get you started. Mm, Wonderful. I have one specifically for people that are dealing with painful sex. Very good. What to do when sex hurts and it gets you started. Um, So I'll keep that in mind for some of my clients. Thank you. Absolutely. So if you do actually want to come in, I have a form you can fill out. You can request a phone consultation and we'll just chat, make sure you're a good fit for my clinic. Mm -hmm. Um, I offer people that come in, even do a free screening to make sure that that's the right place because I really want people to make good decisions. Yeah, absolutely. I don't want people, I really don't want people bouncing from one person to another. That's, in my opinion, the buck stops here. Mm -hmm. We are going to get you to the right place. If it's not me, I'm going to make sure you're 
at the right office to get the help you need. And, um, or you can call me if you really want to. It's 816-607-3747. But the best way to reach me is my website. Okay. Perfectpelvis.com. Seriously, I love her website. It's awesome. (laughs) So, well, again, Katie, thank you so much for being on my episode of Keep Them Coming. I appreciate it. <laughs> Everyone giggles when I say my podcast name. I don't know what it's all about. <laughs> I love it. I love your podcast name. Thank you. I, I do like puns. And I, I it is one of my things now when I'm you know out meeting people and they're like, well, what do you do? And I say, you know, I'm a sex coach. I'm an educator. I'm a podcaster. Like, oh, cool. What's your podcast name? I'm like, keep them coming with Open the Doors Coaching. And they're like, oh, I love it. It's so good. I thought the mayor was going to pee his pants when I told him what my <laughs> podcast name was. He died laughing. But I'm like, yes. I'm just glad the mayor knows who I am, what I do, and what my podcast name is. That's so. right. Maybe he'll check you out. Oh, my God. He's young and single. So hmm. Hmm. maybe I'll share this episode with him. Not that I've got his phone number or anything because I don't. I'm not going to pretend like I do. We're not besties yet yet anyways okay well again thank you so much for being here today thank you have a good day you too Thanks for listening to Keep Them Coming with Open the Doors Coaching. Please rate, subscribe, and share this podcast. And check the show notes for stuff we discussed in the episode. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. But visit my website if you want more information about me and my coaching services. You can join my not safe for work email list called The Dirty Bird if you want more content about sex and relationships. You can support said content, like my work with this podcast and other forms of media, by visiting listener support with Anchor FM or visit patreon.com to become one of my patrons. Again, check the show notes. I have links for you there. My theme song is original music by M. Kusa. Until next time.